0: Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning in to our church podcast. This week's sermon is from our series, The Core, where we are taking a look at the values of our church stands on. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part you play in it. institution organization needs core values to keep them uh, moving in the direction that their vision states and also to define who they are. And so we've got those. And the first one, which is paramount to understand and to to grasp and to buy into is the word of God. That is our number one core value. And because of that, we invested last Sunday in it. We will invest this Sunday in it. And we will invest next Sunday in the word of God, because there's a whole lot of questioning about God's word. And uh, I want you to know today who I am and who our church is and and the position we take regarding God's Word. And so it is important that you're here, and I want you to just lean in and let God speak to your heart today so that as we leave, you'll begin to understand not what i think but what god's word says about his word. and so we're going to see six things between next week and uh, this week and next week, six proofs, six reasons why you can bank on god's word. You can hang your eternal destiny on god's word, you can hang your daily living on god's word, and when you read his word, you can apply it to your life and know for certainty, with certainty that you will never be disappointed. Okay, it's just the way it is. Now, the title of the message is Did God Really Say That? Now last week we determined that's not something I came up with, that's something that the devil came up with, and that's what he said in the garden. When God revealed himself, he created human beings, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, and he walked with them, and he told Adam exactly how he was supposed to live. They had an intimate relationship where God would walk uh, with them in the coolness of the morning. But something happens, and Mr. Crafty, the serpent himself, Lucifer cast from heaven, uh, took on bodily form of a serpent, finds himself in. In the garden, and he asked Eve, he says, now, did God really say that? And so I want you to look at your neighbor and say, did God really say that? So I want to begin today by showing you how you can know what God said. And it's important that you know what God says. It's important that you just don't go based on this idea, you know, that, oh, it's in the Scripture, you know, like uh, cleanliness is next to godliness, right? And we know where that is in Scripture. It's not in there. You hear these things, some of these conversations, and God's Word's not to be found, but everybody's talking about God's Word. So it's important that you invest God's Word into your life, and you can only do that by being a student of God's Word. And so the first point on your worship guide... Is messianic confirmation. Now those are big words, but I'm just whacked out like that. So that's what it is. Messianic confirmation. Don't worry about the spelling if you don't know it, just put it down there. Now what this don't you think it's important if we're going to talk about God's word, that we need to know what Jesus said about God's word, right? So let's go to the source because after all, I believe Jesus. All right? We we look at your neighbor and say, I gotta believe Jesus. You you gotta believe Jesus. And you say, well, sure, we got to believe Jesus. But there's a whole world out there that doesn't want to believe Jesus. Oprah Winfrey, she doesn't want to believe Jesus. You say, what's Oprah Winfrey got to do with it? A lot, okay? Because she's mainstream media kind of personality. And here's what they believe. Well, there must be more than one way to go to heaven, right? I mean, that's kind of narrow-minded and you know, self-focused to think there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said he's the only way. I believe Jesus is the only way because he said he's the only way. Look at your neighbor and say, we got to believe Jesus. In fact, I want you to understand today that if you struggle believing the words of Jesus, you need to question whether you're even born again. Because how can you be born again, placing your faith and trust in the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, if you can't believe what he said? Because if you can't believe what he said, then that means he lies. And if he lies, that makes him a sinner. And if he's a sinner, he's not the spotless lamb of God, qualifying him to be the savior of the world. So look at your neighbor and say, we gotta believe Jesus. I just want you to know that's really important. (laughs) Okay, and some of y'all have confessed it. Some don't seem too convinced, but that's okay. All right, now, Messianic confirmation. I want you to know what Jesus said. So here's what we're gonna do I want you to look at Mark chapter 10, verse 6. So last week we talked about my views regarding creation. I believe in six literal days, and I talked about it. You don't have to believe in six literal days. You can believe in a gap theory. You can believe in a theistic evolution, whatever you want to call it. I believe in six literal days. I want to show you today why, first of all, one of the things that I believe, why I believe it, okay? Jesus said in Mark 10, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus says from the beginning of creation, man and woman were there. And if you read the Genesis account, it, des- it describes a creation that happens all of the sudden in six days, as I believe it. And Jesus, I think, is saying he believes that men, male and female, man and woman, were there at the very beginning, that it happened in this short span of time. Some of you questioning that right now, and it's okay. Let's keep going. I want you to see in John chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, Jesus says, look at your neighbor and say, you got to believe Jesus. Okay, He says in John 5, verse 45, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Now, he's speaking to Jews. He says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he, Moses, wrote about me. But if you do not believe his, Moses' writings, how will you believe my words? Now, you say, What does this have to do with anything? A lot. Here's the deal. There's a whole world out there of theologians, of, uh, of, of uh, atheists, of uh, agnostics who want to argue and debate and question who even wrote the Pentateuch. Now, the Pentateuch is Penta five, first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses forever has been the author of those books. But after the age of enlightenment, everything fell under scrutiny. Everything began to be questioned. And so now if you go to seminaries, you can find books, Kyle. I'm telling you the truth. They have defined and, and, and come to the, to the uh, knowledge. Moses, after all, didn't even write the first five books. In fact, there's several different authors. Now, I don't you believe that, Kyle, that there's several different authors? Who do you believe wrote the Pentateuch? Mo- Kyle believes it. so I believe it because Kyle believes it because he's smart, all right. And I ain't kidding. He is. He's smart, all right. But I believe it. I believe it. I believe. I believe Moses wrote the Pentateuch. In fact, I believe Moses was inspired by God to write, just like the authors of the Gospel, just like Paul. I believe they are, It's the Theonustus, the breath of God coming through Moses. Now, listen. I, I'm not alone in that. Kyle's not alone. You're keeping good. We're keeping good company, not just with each other, because you can always find some, you know, classroom idiot to hang out with you and agree to the same thing. Say, yeah, we got to. We, we all believe we, we're right. Because me and you believe the same stupid thing, right? Okay, we've got better company than that. I want you to, I want you to listen. Jesus says you got to believe Moses. If you, if you don't believe Moses, how are you going to believe me? So then he goes on and he says, what did Moses write? If you want to know, what, what is something that Moses wrote? Go read the Pentateuch. Here's one. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. This is Moses. Jesus said, believe Moses. He says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. There we find our week. And Moses said, in six days, he created everything and everything that's in it. And on the seventh day, he rested. Now, I think that speaks clearly to my heart that in six literal days, the yom, morning, evening, number day, God created everything. And on the seventh day, he rested. So, so, so when I read God's word, it's important, and it's important for you. Don't believe what I say. Don't believe what anybody televangelist says, what some book, hot ticket book, uh, On New York Times bestseller list, don't believe those. You look in Scripture and let the Holy Spirit of God reveal His Word to you. Now, that's just one. What else did Jesus believe that the world doesn't seem to want to believe in? Well, I want you to know that Jesus often referred to the Old Testament. He elevated Scripture as holy writings, as the Word of God. In fact, here's a few of them. He believed Jesus, Adam and Eve, were the first married couple. Jesus believed God intended one man, one woman, one God, one life. Okay? He he didn't he didn't embrace divorce. That was not his plan. Now, God's gracious and he allows provision for people to have a divorce and still be uh, under grace and to still be used by God. But he makes no room for homosexual lifestyle. He doesn't make room for that. He intended one man, one woman, one God, one life. You can read about it in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10. He also believes something else that the world doesn't seem to want to believe. Jesus believed there was a dude named Noah who built a great big boat, put animals on that thing, and sailed around the world. J- Jesus believed it. I got to believe you. Je- Look at your neighbor and say, You got to believe Jesus. Now, there's a world out there that doesn't want to believe in a global flood. <laughs> They want to believe in maybe some geographic flood that, you know, a a portion of the land, a a region was underwater, but not the whole world. And, but I think that was funny anyway, because when I look at a globe, you know, they talk about, what do they call platonic shifts or is that what I'm saying wrong? Where the plant, uh, is it Teutonic? Platonic, huh? Teutonic. Yeah, I was all over it. I knew I'd get there in a minute. I'll edit that from the video. Make myself sound more intelligent, all right? If you look at them, they kind of match up. That there's this cataclysmic thing that happened where the Bible says water came from below, and the canopy, water came from above, and it flooded the whole earth. And, and the world wants to say, I don't believe it. They can't explain why they have fossils sitting on top of Sand Mountain in Alabama, as if once upon a time there was an ocean there. They can't. You know know what they explain that by? Fossils on Sand Mountain in Alabama. Somebody took them up there and deposited them. Somebody has way too much time on their hands. One to deposit, two to come up with a harebrained idea like that. Okay. Now he Jesus believed in Noah and a flood. Matthew chapter twenty four. He believed in Noah and a flood. That's cool. Got to believe Jesus. If he believed Noah in a flood, nail it down. There was a flood, dude named Noah, big boat, bunch of animals. It just is what it is. Now, he also believed that manna, Jesus believed that manna fell from heaven to feed the Israelites while they're in the wilderness. I mean, that's insane that, that this bread type subject, manna, don't know what it is, that's what it means, fell from the sky to feed them. And the world says, yeah, that really doesn't happen. That's, that's just a, oh, just metaphorical, allegorical. It's just, you know, that's just a story. Jesus believed that manna from heaven fed the Israelites, John chapter 6, 32 through 33. Nobody wanted to believe that there was actually a city on this planet that was destroyed by fire and brimstone. That's Sodom and Gomorrah. That God rained down fire and brimstone on a city. Okay, nobody wanted to believe it until they started exhuming the city and they found these charred remains. And once they found the charred remains, it makes sense. They said, Aha, what the Bible says really is true, right? No, that's not what they said. Okay, we found it, but you know what it means? An asteroid fell from heaven, landed on Sodom and Gomorrah. Whatever you want to call it, God's good at hitting his target. Whether it's an asteroid or a bunch of little stones of fire, I don't care. You know what Jesus believed about Sodom and Gomorrah? It was a real place that fell under real judgment. Matthew chapter 10, verse 15. The miracles of Elijah, Jesus believed in. Here's a good one for you. How many of you have ever heard anybody question the reality that there was a real guy named Jonah who was a prophet who um, ran from God's call on his life, got swallowed by a well, puked up on the third day and went on in to preach. That's a joke. That didn't really ever happen. Anybody ever heard somebody say that didn't really happen? Yeah, all the time. All the time. Well, first of all, let me say this. Jonah's not the only person that's ever been swallowed by a fish and lived to tell about it. Not the first person. Probably won't be the last, okay? But it's more important. That doesn't matter. If there was no one else. I don't care if you know what the chemical composition of the digestive tract and juices in a whale is. First of all, he never said a whale. He said a big fish. That could be a big minnow, a big goldfish. I don't even know it there. But a big fish swallowed a man named Jonah because, because he was running from God. You know what Jesus believed? Jesus believed in Matthew chapter 12 as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. He says, so I'll be in the belly of the earth for three days. He, he believed in Jonah. Got to believe Jesus. Not only that, Jesus believed that there was something special about God's Word. Now, I want you to hear this. Because when, when I found this, when I found it, I didn't find anything that was already there. When, 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 when I began to study God's Word and, and this got in me, okay? It was already there and it's there for you. But when this got in me, and it sounds simple, and It is it changed the way I view scripture. Now, if somebody asked me today, if you come up and say, Joel, I've been wanting to read my Bible, where do I start? I'm probably not gonna say Second Chronicles, okay? I'm pro- probably not. I'm probably not gonna say numbers would be a good one. Now just get in there and learn the names and the counts, okay? What I'll probably say is not Genesis. What I'll probably say is not Matthew. What I I know I won't say is revelation, okay? What I will say is you need to read the Gospel of John because if you get the Gospel of John, you get a whole lot. You get a firm understanding that changes the way you look at the rest of the book because John is a love letter. It's a love gospel. See, John had a special relationship with Jesus. He was the beloved disciple. He was given the, the uh, ability, inspired to write the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. He got it well, okay? And when you read that book, it will change. When you understand the Gospel of John, it will change the way you look at Jesus, God the Father, and his Scripture, in fact, it begins in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, right? And then he says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, that's, that's, that's a profound statement that God would inspire John to write, that in the beginning there's this thing called the Word, and it says, and it was with God, and it was God. I mean, what does that even mean? Well, th- well then it goes on, and it says this crazy thing. It says, and, and, the, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's in verse 14. And we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father. There's this metamorphosis that took place 2,000 years ago when the eternal word of God, the eternal breath of God, put skin on, became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. So I want you to know something. When you read scripture, whether it's in Genesis, 2 Chronicles, okay, Numbers, Revelation, or anywhere else in it, it all points to the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is Jesus Christ. Scripture is Jesus Christ on paper. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So I want you to know that when we we have uh, Scripture, God's Word, as a core value, there's a reason. Because it is profoundly important. And I just want to tell you, there's churches who have drifted from God's Word. There's churches who you will seldom hear God's word read or spoken. There's churches where you will seldom hear God's word um, defined or described or broken down. It's why often I go book by book until we're doing these core values because I'm scared to. Die. I'm terrified of messing this thing up. There, Scripture is scripture's very clear that I, if I mislead you or if I promote a lie that I am under special judgment. I don't want that. I, get enough, I, got an, I got enough problems already. I don't need that. So we have to take, stay very, very close to Scripture and let Scripture define Scripture. Not only that, I want you to understand that Jesus thought Scripture was powerful, more powerful than you and I give it credit for. I want you to understand that Jesus defeated the devil with Scripture. In Matthew chapter four, you remember the story? Jesus was baptized. And this is cool. Uh, The Trinity, the triune Godhead showed up at the baptism, right? Jesus is in the water. He's baptized. He comes up and the Holy Spirit shows up and landed on him in the form of a dove. And then God, the father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now that's beautiful. But if you read what comes after that, it's not so beautiful. It says, Jesus was led straightway into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted, right? He went to be tempted. Now, Satan shows up with his bag of tricks, the same bag that he's always had. He had it in heaven. He had it in the garden. He has it today. Very small, but he's very good at what he does. And he shows up and he tempts Jesus in, in all of the things that we are tempted of today, all categories of sin. He was tempted on the, uh, on the mountain, Every one of them, Satan would say, hey, Jesus, why don't you do this? You know, you've been, you've been fasting for 40 days, got to be hungry. What do you say we have some breadsticks, okay? We got some stones down there, make some bread. Let's make breadsticks, going to be a party on, I know you're hungry. Jesus pulled that scripture out. Oh, yeah, man shall not live by bread alone, but out of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. And, and, and so he goes on, all three of them, Jesus defeated the enemy with scripture. Now, I want you to know something, church, every individual in here. When you fight the enemy who is the father of all lies, he's the great deceiver. Peter says he is a roaring lion seeking to devour you. When you fight him in the flesh, you will lose every time. Every time. But you can fight him in the spirit with the word of God, and you will find yourself victorious. And I know right now, sitting in this room, every single one of us have lost battles because we fought them in the flesh. You're looking at one. But when I fight the enemy, who is a spiritual enemy, with a spiritual weapon called Scripture, I can be victorious. Not only that, in Ma- that was Matthew 4. Matthew 22, Jesus cited Scripture... Ignorance of Scripture for the reason that the Sadducees failed in everything they did. Script, Jesus said, listen, this is a big deal. You need to get in God's Word. Timothy says, study to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. It is time. Church, that we, you as an individual, got into God's word. I had a video. We we'll hope to play it next week. I was going to play, it, and I was watching it this morning, and uh, it just talks about God's word, what all it is. And I was watching it, and it just warmed my heart, man. It was like I gotta, I gotta go to another level in my study of God's word. Because it just, it's, it's so powerful. It is the breath of God, the Theonustis, It is Jesus on paper. And you will never have a victorious relationship with Jesus if you don't know his word. So you got to get in his word. So number one is messianic confirmation. Number two is scriptural affirmation. Scriptural affirmation. Affirmation. Now, not only it's important to listen to what Jesus said, it's important if Jesus is Scripture, to listen to what Scripture says. And Scripture affirms Scripture. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Now, he says in Second Timothy chapter three verses thirteen through seventeen, the Bible says, but evil. People and charlatans. There's a good word we don't use much anymore. Charlatans, that's ungodly people. They will go from bad to worse, deceiving each other and being deceived themselves. You, however, must continue in the things you have learned and are confident about. You know who taught you and how from infancy you have known the holy writings, that scripture, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every scripture is inspired. By God and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good word. Now, every good work. God has given us His word for a reason, and it's to help you know how you should live your life. God's goal for you and for me is not to just meander around aimlessly, hopelessly, wondering what to do next. He has given us His Word as an instruction book on how we're supposed to live our lives. Now, the question is this, and it's a good question. I want you to hear it. Do you live your life daily under the counsel of the Word of God? Are the places you go? are the things you view, are the things you say, are 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 the choices you make. Are they built upon scripture or are they built upon self? You see we live in a world that's moved past a theology and a theistic view of life. And that's a godology or a godistic view of life, okay? And we've moved to a meology or a meistic view of life where it's all about me and what I think. And, if, and, if, I, and if, I, if I think something and I really want it to be true, I'll hunt until I find someone or something that will confirm what it is I want to be true. That's meistic, that's a meology. Now, I want you to know God is very clear about how we're supposed to live our lives. God is certain because he's God and he sees past, present, and future all at the same time. So look, listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? He is hovering along by the Holy Spirit, and he was inspiring their heart to write not just the words, but every punctuation mark in Scripture. I was talking with somebody early before church, and they were talking about uh, certain translations. Scripture has been kind of taken out. Other translations, Scripture has been moved around. Don't get me wrong. You'll find translations where they've modified it a little bit to make it chronologically accurate, to make it read better, to make it flow better in our minds. But the theme and the message of the Bible is without error. It is infallible and without contradiction. Luke chapter. 24, verse 27, Jesus said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said, or speaking of Jesus, Jesus explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures. So I want you to know this whenever you run into a problem in this life, whenever you cross paths with uh, information that you wonder about, you're like, well, I just don't know. I just don't know if, uh, if I feel like that's accurate. All you have to do is run it through the lens of God's word to find out whether it's true or not. Whether or not you can build your life, whether you can stake a claim in that and say, I believe that is true. Scripture defines scripture. You don't have to go any further than that. Now, don't get me wrong. It's open for interpretation, and there are some areas that are very, very difficult. And there are other areas that God is explicitly clear, and there's not any room for moving. Uh, Kendra and I were were talking on the way over here this morning, and and, uh, I I want you to know uh, why I believe a lot of what I believe about Scripture. I labor over it. Okay? I do. I pray over it. I do. I speak and talk to others about it. I do. But I want you to know who I listen to, who I read after, and who I watch. Because I'm a weird guy. I didn't tell you that. You knew that, okay? But I'm weird deep on the inside. I love preaching. I love to preach. I love to listen to preachers for years. I, cassettes. i would listened to cassettes of preachers, okay? For for ye- for years, I would watch television. When the girls were little, my daughters were little, I'd have TBN on them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, some of them are whacked out. I agree with that. But some of them are solid. And the girls would say, you watching Jesus Channel again? They were like, three. You watching G- four? You G- Jesus Channel? Yeah, I'm watching some Jesus Channel. Get in here and watch it Women, you know? I'm, I'm eat up with it because I love God's word. I love this, that scripture is amazing. It's the breath of God. And the breath of God is deposited in us through the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm amazed that I will hear somebody speak and, and I will know, some, this sounds whacked. I will know what they're going to say before they say it. Now, you're saying right now, oh, no, he's gone off the deep end. Listen, hear me out. I, I, I know where they're going. Because the spirit of God that lives in them lives in me. I know where they're going. I had a conversation on Friday. And a, uh, a preacher friend of mine, and he was talking about, yeah. And he started talking about scripture. And I thought, uh-oh, what's he going to say about scripture? And he started saying stuff. And I was grinning. He said, why are you smiling? I said, I told my church almost verbatim what you just said last Sunday. Why? Because there is a spirit of God who is one because he is God. And when we get saved, he spills us and seals us with the spirit. And that means if you're born again, you should be able to open up God's word, read it, and the Holy Spirit of God reveal truth to you that will change your world and rock your life. I'm amazed at this. Brother Mike uh, at Second Baptist Church, he's brilliant. Okay? He's got over 35,000 books in his library. I do not. (laughs) Because I don't think they make 35,000 with lots of pictures. Okay? Now, he's brilliant. He's well-read. Okay? His path is completely different than mine. He was raised as a preacher's kid. He began bus ministry, driving a bus in Texas at 14. Yeah, that's Texas. Okay? On staff by 14. Went to Criswell Bible College in Dallas. Dropped out of school for a while. And went to ministry. Started preaching. Ended up here in Tennessee. Went to Southern Seminary. Got his doctorate, uh, doctorate degree. Okay, a whole different path. Went to Indiana for several years. Back in Tennessee. That's his life. My life. Raised here in Tennessee. Went to the Theology School of Tennessee Technological University. Eh, wrong. Went from there to Chattanooga, went to Birmingham, went to Dallas Theological Seminary, different seminary, did my doctoral work at, at Liberty University, whole different path. But listen to this, 13 years ago, he called me and said, hey, I want you to meet me at the Cracker Barrel in Rockwood or Harriman, whatever that exit is. I said, okay. And I, meet, I met him and I tell this story. Why I'm here today is because they sent me over here and why I was there because when we went to Cracker Barrel... He pulled, I pulled the chair out at the table, and the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart. I was in Birmingham, outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and he said, It's time to go to Clinton. Just, just spoke to my heart. It's time to go to Clinton. And I thought, Man, I'm hungry. I'm about to get four biscuits. You know, I'm the indigestion. I'm, I'm, that's hunger pains. Okay? And we sat down, and Brother Mike talked. If you know him, he'll talk. He talks circles around me. Okay? You have to cough or throw up or sneeze on him to get a break so you can say something. Okay? Just saying. He's a talking machine, and he talked for like an hour. I just ate, and the whole time, I'm like, I don't know why you're trying to sell me. I got to come to Clinton. (laughs) In fact, I went to Clinton and preached a message in view of a call. I told them, I said, it's not my desire to come to Clinton, but if you vote not to call me to Clinton, you're being disobedient to God. That's stupid to say that to a church. (laughs) But I I didn't know any better. I knew it was true and and so here's what's funny funny thing brother mike's whole life is different than mine his education's different his pathways different his family's different all of him is different okay but in 13 years i can't i can't begin to tell you how many conversations i've had with him about theology or things of god's word never ever 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 has he ever said anything and i thought where did you get that Never, ever, 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 ever have I said something that he called me in the office after and said, where did you get that? Kyle Riley right here, his path is completely different than mine. Completely. He went to Southern Seminary. He's working on his master's. Sharp. Okay. He's sharp. Not sharper than me. But here's what's funny. I I slip in here and listen to him preach on Wednesday nights to students. And I I tell Kenner, I sit back there and smile because he starts preaching. I know what he's going to say. I know what's in. How do I know what he's going to say when he's preaching? Do I read minds? No. I read hearts. And the Holy Spirit that is deposited in my heart is deposited deep in his heart. And it rocks his brain. And when he begins to speak, he speaks what the Holy Spirit has placed in his heart. And he's placed it in my heart. And I'm here to tell you, listen, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart, but he will not speak to it if you're not in his word, because he speaks through his word. And anything outside of his word, you better be very, very careful with, because it could be of a different spirit, the spirit of the devil. And so... We have messianic confirmation, scriptural affirmation, and then lastly, we have traditional acceptance. Now, I want you to understand about this thing called canonization, like the canon. Everybody know what the canon is? Oh, yeah, it's a big steel thing that shoots balls at the enemy. No, that's a canon. It's the wrong one. This is, this is the authoritative rule of God's word. It's called the canon. And scripture has been canonized, meaning it has been chiseled out as the authoritative rule of God's word. How many of you have ever been asked this question? So you believe the Bible's... All, what about all these other books? You don't believe them? You, you believe God's word is complete and you can't add to it? Don't you think that's a little narrow-minded? Who decided what got in and what didn't get in? Huh? That's a good question. And it is a good question, begs for a good answer, Right? I want you to know how you know that scripture is scripture and anything else is not scripture. I want you to know that when somebody says, why don't you believe the book of Mormon? You can look at them and say, because it's not scripture. Why is it not scripture? Because it came post, it post early church. It came post council of Nicaea. It came post canonization of scripture and it doesn't line up with scripture. I want you to know when somebody comes knocking at your door, and it's not the Mormons, and it's the Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? Which, by the way, we as Christians should be, should be jealous of Jehovah's Witnesses and jealous of Mormons because they're serious enough about their faith to want to go door to door and share what they believe is truth to a lost and dying world. Meanwhile, we sit on the bench and watch the world go to hell in a handbasket. So shame on us. I applaud them even though they're wrong. Now, how do I know Jehovah's Witness book? How do I know that, uh, that the Book of Mormon's wrong? Because it's outside canonized scripture, and I'm gonna explain that. And it's outside alignment with scripture itself. So how, how, what is the canon? How did it become canonized? Well, l- listen, the early church didn't accept scripture as authoritative because it was canonized, because it wasn't canonized yet, okay? The early church accepted scripture as authoritative, because they knew it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, how did they know? because the early church the scripture began to be written uh, what we have now about a hundred years a d okay so after Jesus, after the early church, they started writing these things the, the Gospels and the other, the other books in the New Testament the Holy, the Holy Spirit impressed not only the people who were writing it but impressed upon the hearts of the early church to know that it was scripture, and so they knew what books were scripture. Uh, they believed early that the gospels were inspired by the Holy Spirit. What gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Whoa, 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 whoa! What about the Gospel of Philip? I mean, it says the Gospel of Philip. What about the Gospel of Mary? The early church did not embrace them as scripture. Not only that, but I would encourage you when some nuthead wants to come to you and say, "Yeah, what about this Gospel of Philip or the Gospel of Mary?" Just say, I'm not familiar with those. You you got a copy? Tell them to get you a copy. Read it. You know what? If you're born again, it won't take you 30 minutes to know it ain't Scripture. Because it does not line up with the other Gospels. Okay? So it's not rocket science. It just requires some diligence and faithfulness on our part. So... The early church embraced all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they told of the story of Jesus. The the early church embraced all of the writings of Paul, the epistles, all of the writings of Paul, because they were pastoral letters. The early church embraced the book of Acts, the actions of the apostles. The early church embraced 1 John, 1 Peter, and and, uh, Revelation. They were all universally accepted in the early church. Okay. Now later there was a bunch of other writings that came on. They continued to write later in three ninety seven and three three ninety three and three ninety seven in North Af- Africa at Hippo and Carthage. There was this council where they came together, brilliant men who labored over Scripture, brilliant, brilliant men who prayed, God, what are we to include and what are we to exclude? And so they went through it, and it was determined these are Scripture. Now Scripture now attributes. Uh, Scripture now writes about itself, and that's what we talked about, scriptural affirmation. You can trust the New Testament, Testament to be God's word to you. You don't have to worry about any other books. If you want to read another book, read another book. You can can read Wizard of Oz and tap your red shoes together and hope to go to Kansas. I don't care. But if you're looking for Scripture, just listen. Just accept Scripture as Scripture. Accept the Old Testament as the Old Testament. Accept the New Testament as the New Testament. Accept the fact that God has told you everything you need to know to experience grace and its redemption A life full and free from bondage to the enemy and an eternal hope going to heaven one day because of what Christ has done. Never said that before, but I'm going to have to look at the video and see what I just said because it's absolutely true. You can know, you can know, you can know he's told you everything you need to know about yourself, about God, about his grace and his love, about how you can be saved and live free and live forever in heaven. Everything you need to know is right there. Listen, the Bible says he didn't tell us everything he knows because there's not enough paper and ink to write it. And your shallow mind, I will say it, my shallow mind will never contain all that God is but he's given us everything we need to know. And this is the beauty of scripture. It's so simple that a child can read it and understand it. And it's so deep that theologians have been scratching and clawing and discussing for 2,000 years just about the New Testament. So it's everything you need, but you'll never know if you don't get in it and see what God has to say about it. Now, you remember just a few years ago, there was a book and then a movie by Dan Brown, you remember the Da Vinci Code, right? You remember those? And, and when you see that stuff, and you hear this stuff, you you know you're no different than me. You ask yourself, is that true? Or you're you know you you hear a conversation. Oh, did you hear Da Vinci Code? Yeah, there's really a whole lot, eighty more books that they didn't include in the Bible. Man, it unlocks the code to a whole lot of stuff. And even as a believer who who knows scripture, you go, uh, they did. You know, you find yourself just a little bit of question. Okay. Listen, when that happens, ignore it. Let me me explain how you can know Scripture. Excuse me. Let me explain how you can know something that's not true and not scripturally based. Know what Scripture says, and when you hear something otherwise, know it's not true. You know, if you go to Washington, D.C., to the treasury, they have counterfeit inspectors who try to find counterfeit bills. Billions of dollars of counterfeit bills are produced all the time around the world. But those inspectors don't study counterfeit bills. Those inspectors study the real deal. And they know the real deal so well that when a counterfeit comes before their eyes, it glows, and they know. Smash my finger, remember? I gave it as illustration last year, uh, last week. Smashed it so hard. I can't even keep up with time. It was last week. All right? You remember this figure right here? It's that big black finger right there that I smashed real good. Now, you remember when you're a kid, they have these books and they say, which one does not belong? Four circles and a square, right? Hopefully you all got that one right. Okay. That's the way it is with scripture. When you see when you when you know scripture, when something is said, read, uh, or you, has you've been made aware of. If it looks like this, if you if you know what this what these others look like if you, if you know what these four look like, when this one pops up and, and 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 I say which one doesn't belong, it's this one right here, right? Okay. That's the way it is with scripture. If you get in God's word and let God's word get in you, then when the alternative view, when the false truth comes along, man, it's got a beacon on it and a siren on it. And you know in the depths of your soul, that is not true. And so that's how we do it. Second Peter 1.16, Peter would call. Call anything other than scripture, cleverly devised myths. Now, I'll finish with this. So how did the early church determine, before there was a, a council, how did the early church know what scripture was and what was not to be included? Why is Philip not in there? Why are some of these other foreign books, why are they not in there? They had three simple tests to determine. One was apostolicity. Did an apostle write it? Or someone very close to an apostle write it? Because listen, the apostles had authenticated ministry. They performed all kinds of miracles. It was insane. Everybody knew that God's hand was on them. And when they wrote something, they knew it came from an apostle. Number two, coherence. Did one align with the other? When you read something and it doesn't line up with scripture, it's not scripture. Because scripture will never discredit, disprove, or bring into question other scripture. The last one is Catholicity. The word Catholic uh, Catholic means universal. There was universal acceptance. This is so cool how the Holy Spirit would do it. There would be churches scattered around, all around that region, and they would all be preaching and teaching and studying and praying and spreading the gospel, and then they would come together and they would be amazed. That Just like I talked about earlier, that they're preaching the same thing. They believe the same thing because the Holy Spirit was bigger than all of them put together. And so none of of this was really ever even brought into question. None of it until the age of enlightenment. And at the age of enlightenment, see, we began to rethink. Logic came in. Reason came into being. No longer was it faith-based. It was brain-based. Based, And so everything began to be questioned. Plato, Homer, Caesar, Augustus, there's less than 10 copies of anything about their life. And when's the last time you heard anybody say... I just don't believe Plato existed. Now, I'm not talking about Pluto. Everybody knows he exists, okay? I just don't believe Plato ever existed. I don't believe Homer existed. Caesar Augustus, I don't believe he was a real character. Nobody ever questions. But when God shows up with skin on, the enemy wants to question. The enemy wants to say, did God really say? And so I want you to know that Scripture must always be consistent with Scripture to maintain its value. I want you to know that every word of Scripture must always point to the love story of Jesus Christ and His redemption. I want you to know that Scripture will always edify the body, the church, and never tear it down. I want you to know that there is a leadership in the church that should always affirm Scripture. In other words... If if the deacons and the other staff members wake up one day and say, what is Joel preaching? And they know it's wrong, and they would know because the Spirit of God lives in them. And when they know it's wrong, they're to come to me and say, hey, where'd you get this? That's not Scripture. And if I continue in that, they need to find somebody else to do this. Leadership will always affirm Scripture according to God's Word. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to know this morning that if I had to say one overarching thought about God's word that I want you, I want to deposit in your life, I want you to walk away with, beyond all that we've talked about today, it is this. God's word is a love story written from God to you and I'm not talking about to you as a group I'm talking to you as a, an individual, a soul a person I want you to know that God's word from index to maps from Genesis to Revelation is a story of how he created us and how we rejected his love and his ways and we did our own thing And all the while, God had a plan to make it right. And out of love for you, he strapped on flesh to be like you and came to this earth to die on a cross for you so that in his resurrection on the third day, he can give life to you forever. If you're here today and you don't know him, You feel in your heart the truth that God loves you and that He wants to rescue you from you. I want you to know this is how that happens. You move from a myology to a theology. You simply say, God, I have messed this thing up called life. God, I know I'm a sinner. Your word says I'm a sinner, but I already know it. God, I know your word says that there's a punishment for sin and it's called death and God I deserve every bit that you have for me but God your word says that if I place my trust in you place my faith in you and repent of my sins you will make me a brand new creature in Jesus I want Jesus to come into my life I repent of all of my sin I want your Holy Spirit to fill me and help me live for you start making me new right now Save me in this moment. I thank you for hearing my prayer. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you just prayed that prayer and you want to be saved today or you just got saved, the Bible says you should make that public. I'll be standing here in the front. I would invite you to come down here just so I can pray with you and encourage you in your decision and your new walk. For the rest of us, if we're already born again, I would ask that you would make this a day where you commit yourself to God's Word, new, deeper, fresher, Get in his word and see what he has to say to you as we stand and sing.